It's the place where today's trending stories meet common sense and intelligent insight. Kind of what I feel like is a pretty balanced perspective. And a few laughs along the way. I like knowing things. This is the Angie Austin and Mike Opelka Show. Hello, 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 happy listeners. Welcome to Friday. Pat yourselves on the back. I say that every week, but I mean it. When we go through crazy weeks like we've been going through in the lead up to this election and all the stuff that's going on in our country, Fridays and the coming weekends are something we should celebrate. So I hope you do. We have a lot to get to today. Angie and I are going to talk to our buddy Billy Hollowell from... Um, Insider at pureflix.com. Billy talks about faith and just an old friend that I appreciate having in my life and on our show here. Uh, Andrew will be here for that next break. We also have some wacky news we have to get to this hour and movies this weekend. So our friend Nancy J will be checking in with us. I cannot wait to see Bohemian Rhapsody. I am just all excited about that. And we'll have our reviews of that, or my review, Monday. I think Angie's going somewhere else. Um, do you remember the TV series Batman with Adam West and Burt Ward as Batman and Robin? It was something from my childhood. It was such a huge hit. ABC Television ran it two nights in a week. Batman had two nights. That's how big it was. The Batman phenomenon. So no surprise years later when they started making the movies that they were also gigantic hits as well. But uh, there is a company. Actually, it's one guy named James Commissar who I happen to know. I have to have interviewed James years ago. He's a TV memorabilia collector. In fact, in his home in Hollywood... James has Johnny Carson's original desk. He's got all kinds of really cool old Hollywood memorabilia. And I guess he's finally reached critical mass because he's going to put some of it on sale. The green jacket that the Riddler wore in the first episode of Batman, the TV series, the bat shield that Batman and Robin carried, plus 50 other lots of uh, Star Trek costumes, sketches, jewelries. Oh, this guy's going to make a killing. So good for you, James Commissar. He, uh, he really is a dedicated collector. He called his house the Museum of Television, and he was not lying. And speaking of Hollywood, yesterday was uh, my favorite Jimmy Kimmel episode of the year. Jimmy does a thing he's done every year where he tells parents, hey, tell your kids you ate all their Halloween candy and put it on video and then send it in. And I, I clipped three of my favorite moments. The first one is a mom dealing with a very angry child, one of three kids. This one's yelling that she hates her mom, and mom responds. Hate your mommy! Did you say you hate your mommy? So the little girl slammed the bedroom door and uh, the bedroom door has a giant poster that says get out and stay out. But she did give the condition that uh, no one's coming in unless they return all my candy. So now we know where that young lady stands. But not every kid was angry. As a matter of fact, some of the kids were a little bit of a mirror into the parenting of the adults. 
I ate all your Halloween candy. I'm very disappointed in you, Mommy. I'm sorry, I love you. I love you too, but I'm very disappointed. That is spectacular. That little kid. I'm very disappointed in you, Mommy. Gee, I wonder how many times that young one has heard that. And then there are the kids who are smarter than the parents. And the kids do remember everything you tell them. We ate all of your Halloween candy. Oh, no, this is fake. I know this. Yeah, okay. But where's all your candy then? You don't believe that I ate it? Yeah, because you have showed us the video. You have shown us the video. The kids remember it. Mom and dad thought it was such a clever idea. They showed it to the kids at least once before. And so, yeah, <laughs> kids are very smart. You can see it on Jimmy Kimmel's YouTube channel. I generally am not a fan of late night TV, mostly because Angie and I get up so early in the morning. We are rarely awake to watch late night TV, so we have to watch the clips. A lot coming up today. We'll talk a little bit about the president's remarks on immigration. We'll talk about some weird news, crazy news. You want to smell like Joe Biden? Well, uh, no, no, I don't think anybody does. And we'll talk movies and more as soon as Angie gets here with our friend Billy Hallowell. That's next on the Angie Austin and Michael Pelka show. Austin, Mike Opelka, and our friend Billy Hollowell with Pure Flix were some of the top stories of the week that stop, he's been working on stop, and accumulating. Stop, Hello, Billy. Stop, stop, please. Hey, how are you? Stop, stop please. Us. He's your friend, Billy Hollowell. I'm not talking to him right now. Why are well, you mad at him? You know what? That's a blessing. That's called a blessing. And during Halloween week, those are rare. So I'll take it. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead with your bad self. No, what you guys work together, your old friends, you introduced us, and I know he likes me more than you now, but there was some history there, so what's the problem now? Yeah, just go ahead. I don't know. Carry on. I don't know. Actually, in, in reality, Mike is one of the funniest people. He was just going on a tirade about $2 bills before we started airing this. I mean, Is he mad because I cut him off? Is he no. mad because I said we had work to do at his show today? Probably. Do? Probably. I mean, he's telling me to go to the bank and get $2 bill. He's cra- you're crazy, Mike. Billy. Wait, when you worked with him at the Blaze, was he a diva? Because sometimes he's a diva. You know, I think out of all the time that Mike and I knew each other, I only saw him be a diva once, and I don't remember what it was. Oh, I you do. You were a diva once or twice. I was, I was way more of a diva back then because when I was, I was in my 20s at the time when I started there, and I thought I knew everything, you know. Yeah, but I knew nothing. Yeah, it did happen, and I'm not sure if you saw it happen. It was legend. It was in Dallas, and there was someone named Benny involved. Oh, yeah, that's when it was. Yes, yeah, it was a. You know, it's one of those moments when there's two divas in front of you, and you don't know which one is worse than the other. It was one okay. of those moments. Okay. And this Our- diva put his foot down, and uh-huh. uh, it, it apparently it resonated. <laughs> <laughs> for several years, because the, the, that person to this day still won't return any of my messages. Because well, I, that's called common sense, though, Mike. That's when, good when you, you know, you just don't respond to you. We know this. All right, Billy, I forgive you. Uh, let's move on to uh, one of the stories you have on the uh, Insiders page, the Pure Flix Insiders page, uh, is the story of this Air Force vet 
who asks God for guidance, and, and the ending is so wonderful. I love these kinds of stories. So this is Sky Marshall, and, and people would probably recognize her. She's in um, some shows on CW, and she's done she's done a bunch of work, but she's in a new movie. Um, it's called Indivisible, and it's a military movie. And the cool thing about Sky is that she's actually a real-life Air Force vet. And so Indivisible is a movie about the Army and the chaplaincy and people who served in Iraq. And so this woman, though, she was working in New York before she was an actress. She was, you know, had a cubicle. She was living her dream. Like she wanted to work for this pharmaceutical company. Um, I think she was working in marketing. And so she's sitting there and she's like, this is not the life I wanted. She thought she had everything she wanted. So she, she goes, talks to her mom and, and her mom says, listen, you got to pray about what you want, but you got to listen to whatever God says. And so she had never been acting. It was something she did for fun. She never viewed it as a career, but she went home and she said she was praying and she woke up one day before her alarm clock went off and she said, oh my gosh. I need to go to Hollywood and become an actor. That was the message she felt God giving her. And she kept resisting it. And she said everywhere she went, though, for like the next few weeks, it would be like, welcome to Hollywood. Or and she lived in New York, you know, go to Hollywood, check out Los Angeles, all these signs everywhere that she couldn't escape. She'd go to parties and people would say, you should be an actress. And so she ended up packing everything up, going to Hollywood. And now she's had this successful career. But she takes us through and I'm summarizing it, how she kind of relied on God and ended up with a, a successful career at Hollywood. And it was just the most random thing ever. But the other cool part of her story is that she's actually served in the military and has a lot of great things to say about that experience and you know how it transformed her. She's a really good actress and a, a presence on, on screen. I didn't know this side of her story, so it really adds a depth to it. And, and what a wonderful story. Uh, the headline is, if you're looking for it, Air Force Vet asks God for guidance, ends up in Hollywood. Who knew? So you can go to insider.pureflix.com for that one, but... You know, you've also got to check out, and I don't know if you're going to bring this up, but I'm going to bring it up. We also interviewed Sarah Drew uh, from Grey's Anatomy, who who produced Indivisible. So they were in that together. And Sky was actually also on um, some episodes of Grey's Anatomy. But she's got a phenomenal story, too. So there's just, you know, I love when you go and talk to people from Hollywood and they have good stories. You know, they've got real stories that I think we can all relate to in some way. And so that's what's really cool about Sky's story and also Sarah Drew. We've got a little bit of the interview, so we can take a, a listen to a little snippet. Uh, in my life, in my marriage, uh, we went through a pretty dark time. Um, several years into our marriage, we had to go through counseling and um, and really had to fight our way through the issues that had cropped up. And um, and we came out the other side in just a much more brilliant light. So what stood out the most about the Sarah Drew interview? So the Sarah Drew interview, the first thing that stood out to me, I mean, she's a pretty big name. She's been around the block and, you know, she was pretty open about the fact that her film Indivisible, which deals with marriage, you know, a lot of actors, they just talk about the movie, they talk about the plot and they keep it very surface. But she went really deep into how this movie resonated with her own story because she and her husband had really struggled in their marriage and went through a very dark time. And so the openness that she had in talking about the difficulties in marriage and how you overcome those difficulties and how in particular people who have gone through traumatic experience overseas fighting, how coming back to their family and how the family members who are dealing with that react. And so it was really two of those things, the passion for the military, but also her own openness about her story. Whenever people can be open like that in an interview, it makes for the best discussions. That's pretty cool. It's really cool. And you know, Billy has all of these celebrity encounters 
And I think they're they're actually wonderful because it lets us know that all of Hollywood, not all of Hollywood, are weasels. But you have stories that I think are foundational lessons as well. You wrote something about a week ago titled 15 Ways to Live Beyond the Basic Beliefs of Christianity. And I think stuff like this is as important or in, in some ways even more important than the stories, the profiles of the famous folks who are also people of faith. So you need to get a little pat on the back for stuff like that. Well, I appreciate that. I think, you know, I think a lot of us, like, we don't, for me, faith content was always kind of boring. I'm not going to lie. When I was younger, I think, oh, I don't want to read these faith articles, you know. But the reality is that when you find, you try to find an interesting way to present it, I think most of us, we want to connect with something higher. Even if we're confused, we're not sure what we believe. You know, when it comes to Christianity, it's really been fascinating to watch Christianity be the dominant sort of force in America and watch it within the last 10, 15 years become, it's starting to become a subculture almost, like where you know, secularism has really grown. And so a lot of people, they want these simple tips, like reading the Bible daily, watching uplifting shows, like simple acts that you can take to actually stay grounded in a world that just tears you out um, of being grounded and, and really just distracts us. So I appreciate you saying that. And you can find, I mean, we put out on the Insider, again, it's insider.pureflix.com, at least one or two things a day that are along those lines. They're either profiles or they're sort of, here's a list of advice or like Bible verses to get you through hard times. I think we crave that stuff internally, most of us. Do you have a favorite? A favorite um, Bible verse. verse to get you through tough times. You know, I think I, I don't, I have a favorite chapter. I love, and it's not because of just John 3.16. I think we all know John 3.16 about God giving us his son and him dying for our sins. But the entire chapter of, of John gives me hope because it's this conversation between Jesus and Nicodemus, this religious leader, and, you know, the, the confusion that Nicodemus has about what it means to be born again and Jesus explaining what that means. Like, that is the whole hope. Like, all of John 3 is the hope of what it means to have your life change. And, you know, so I love that. And honestly, I I can't even pick a favorite. I, I do also like Proverbs. Um, Proverbs. I want to say it's 26 too. I, my memory is always the worst, um, worst, but about raising up a child. When you raise up a child in the direction they should go, they will end up going that way. And yeah. just like raising kids, it's like, man, I want to make sure I raise my kids in the right way so that that happens. You know, it's Proverbs 22, six. That is the verse. Um, anyway. So yeah, those are my favorites. The entire chapter of John three, but also Proverbs 22, six. I, the kids um, have really liked um, Philippians 4.13, all things are possible through Christ who strengthens me. And I like that one because so many kids, so many teens, they start bumping into people bringing them down and taking them down a notch and making them feel badly about themselves. And, you know, it's an ugly shirt. You're not great. You're a terrible athlete. You're stupid. You're not worthy. And you're so, fat. You're ugly. Your hair is bad. I mean, the list goes on. Teens yes. are terrible. Kids, yes. Not even just teenagers. Kids are awful nowadays. Yes. And like Faith the other day, she was in a baseball, uh, basketball game. Her team whooped them like, you know, 67 to 2. And the kid comes up to Faith and says, just so you know, I'm still better than you are. And Faith, go, Faith says, okay. And I thought, well, that's like the perfect response. You're like, oh, okay. And I'm just, just nothing. nothing. I'm, giving you, I'm not giving you a thing here. I'm giving you nothing. But with that said, I like that I've given them that tool so that when they think they might not be worthy enough, that if they have Jesus inside of them, if Christ is in them, then they, they, that can help them be worthy enough. That they don't have to put everything on themselves, that they have to be so amazing on their own, that they have like a teammate in life. Yeah. And, you know, we listen, we've got to make our kids resilient now because they are going to grow up in a very secular 
world. I mean, they're going to grow up in a much different world than I grew up in or than you grew up in, a world where it was easy to take faith for granted. You didn't have to do much because culture embraced not faith in general, but the, the values associated with faith. Now... Oh. It's a different world. And don't so get I, me started. Don't even ask about the boy on the bus and the drawing of the PP on my girl's I read about that. I yeah, saw your yeah. Facebook post. Yes. I was gonna I was gonna bring it up, but I, oh, I saw oh. that. Yeah, we're all over uh, the secular world. Oh, and look Sheesh. look, we're all out of time. We can't talk about the penis on the bus again. Okay. Thank you, Billy Hallowell. <laughs> you guys are gonna get me fired. Thank you, Billy. <laughs> Thank you. Hey friend, Angie Austin here. Just wanted to tell you a little bit about a really cool thing for you to get involved with that helps us, helps you, and helps Christians as well. It's called God's Glory Box. Godsglorybox.com is where you go. You support Christian artists, whether it be music or authors or artwork. You spread God's glory and you actually feed hungry Americans because they donate five free meals. And you can get a discount with Good News 5 at checkout for $5 off one box and Good News 10 for $10 off a subscription. I got about five things in my last box. I got a really cool pillowcase. I got a t-shirt in one of the last boxes, a necklace, a placard, a pair of earrings. I gave them all away as gifts and my box was not much over $20 and all of those gifts I was able to give away and encourage other Christians. Godsglorybox.com. Godsglorybox.com. The boxes are beautiful. You support other Christians. You help feed the hungry and put in Good News 5 or Good News 10 for a discount. Angie Austin, Mike Opelka, and Arlene Pelican, author and speaker. And today we are talking about giving your child a preview of the future. And hopefully that future does not involve living in your basement. Mine for sure. Hello, Arlene. Hello, Mike. Wouldn't that be nice? That would be a nice future, correct? And whether that future is college or work or a trade, but it is something that is pulling your child forward. So that's the kind of future that we want them to have. Now, Arlene, you just took your uh, seventh grader to a college preview day, uh, so tell us about that. Yeah, they have this program in San Diego where one of the state colleges hosts all these seventh graders. They call it Compact for Success, and it's a pretty neat deal. They sit in a huge arena. There's 4,500 seventh graders and parents, and the college president greets them. They tell them about the classes they can take. They kind of give them that dream, like, you can be the first to attend college if your family hasn't done that before. And then they go into workshops where they look into majors that they might be interested in, and they give you a free lunch. So it was a very nice day. And the thing I really liked about it was at a young age, you're kind of normalizing, like, here's a college. Here's how you kind of get around. Here's how you look at a campus map and look for your classes because we were looking for those workshops. And I, I wanted my daughter, Noelle, to pick her own, right? Her What, what do you want to go see? And so she chose engineering. And it was really interesting because she chose engineering and that was very interesting. And then her second workshop, she just wanted to go where her friends were going and her friends were going to pre-med and I thought, oh, that's great. You know, go look. Okay, fine. And she said that was like extremely boring. <laughs> and then not to, it wasn't the major, but I just think how it was presented. But my husband was making the point later to her, like, you can't make your choices based on, oh, my friends are going to do that major. My friends are going to that school that you really have to get to the point where you want to do these things yourself. So I thought that was an interesting takeaway that I was not expecting. Hmm. I have a question as, as the non-parent in the room here. Um, 
seventh grade, I was riding my bike around the neighborhood like that a, is funny, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> are, are you you people are real serious about this human race thing, aren't you? You're really <laughs> you've got them sprinting. Oh, what can I say? I don't know why they planned a seventh grade and not eighth grade or ninth grade, but they did. I think the purpose was that when you're in seventh grade, you really haven't done a whole lot to mess up your grades yet. So I think they wanted to give that that incentive of, you know what, the next six years of school, try, try to do your best because you're going to go to college someday. So I think that's why they plant that in them so young. I think maybe too, just planting that seed young enough that they can start having that as a dream, you know, if it mm-hmm. isn't something that maybe their family has told them they can do, yeah. that someone yes. then plants that seed in them at seventh grade. And I agree that the grades don't matter as much in, uh, you know, junior high or middle school, and they matter a lot more in a few years. So just kind of to get them to look ahead that their grades are going to start being more than just what their parents may or may not punish them for, you know, take That's away, right. take away, you know, privileges if they're not good, that they actually could keep them from going into the school of their choice. So, you know, work hard and do your best if you'd like to go to college. Yes, absolutely. And, you know, one of the things I had talked about in my book, Parents Rising, was just the idea of launching adults. And so many of us were hovering over our kids. And there was a Stanford dean um, of freshmen, Julia uh, Lithcott-Hames, and she was writing how at Stanford they began to see not only these freshmen, but all of a sudden all these parents on campus, a new phenomenon. She said each subsequent year would bring an increase in the number of parents who did things like seek opportunities, make decisions, and problem solve for their sons and daughters. And this is Stanford, okay? Things that college-age students used to be able to do for themselves. This was not only happening at Stanford, it was happening at four-year colleges and universities all around the country. And so this is a word to the wise to the parents of, you know, let's not be that parent that drops off their college-age student and then proceeds to do everything for them. (laughs) So by the time they're in college, that they need to be able to choose their own classes, be able to buy their own books, be able to manage their money and eat something every day, do their own laundry, all that. So when they're in seventh grade, yes, you are helping them and a lot of, and all that. But by the time my girl goes to college, I hope with tears streaming down my face, I'll be able to drive away and then let her her do the rest. So let's be careful not to hover over our children too much as they grow up. I'm stunned at how many parents get involved in the decision making or contacting professors to complain about a grade and get involved because once they're 18 like you can't do that you can sit over their shoulder while they type um, a note to their professor and you can guide them in that email but you cannot be the one writing and sending that email and um, I, I just recently a friend was telling me something about their kid coming home and she said uh, that I had them leave uh, the laundry and then I did the laundry and then sent it back in a box with like treats and stuff. I'm like, you <laughs> took their laundry and you right. shipped it back. Like you mailed it. You mailed their laundry. Like wow. you could probably buy, you know, new clothes for what you oh pay my for goodness. shipping a box of laundry. And then, oh, I just thought it'd help out a little. And I get it. It's a sweet gesture. But that's just, I mean, going to do your kids laundry when they're in college contacting yeah. their boss or their their dance troupe because you don't think they got the uh, the, the part they should have gotten or whatever, yeah. you, you got to back off. And the fact that at Stanford, parents are showing up to seek opportunities and to influence professors is ridiculous to me. 
It is. It is. And so it is. You be you're involved. You care, but you. It's not your life. It's your child's life. And now, by the time they're in college, it's your adult child's life or young adult child's life. So I do think we as parents, we have to see the humor in that and then kind of back off. Say, wait a minute, I need to have a hobby. I need to do something so that I don't have so much time to meddle in my child's life. Mike, you mentioned to me once your mom stood outside the classroom when Sister Mathana had uh, punished you and put you in the closet for three days for doing too much homework, and she put you in there with the kids that didn't do their homework, and she didn't think that was fair. And Sister Mathana kicked your mom out of the classroom, and then she stood outside. Now, this wasn't in college. It was, you know, younger. Third grade. Okay. Okay. I did too much math homework, and my mom uh, was furious because the nun punished me because he can't follow directions. And uh, my mom challenged, but that really was the last time I can remember her going toe to toe with somebody. Mm-hmm. And I've told the story that when we left for college, when I left to go a thousand miles away in San Antonio, uh, my mom and dad reminded me that home is the only place that when you have to show up there, we have to let you in. And they were basically <laughs> saying, go forth and, and see yeah. the future. And they were never a further than a phone call away. But I had to do my own laundry. I had to manage my own finances. They helped. But it was all about giving me my independence. And I have never regretted it. I loved every minute of it, even though I complained. Yeah, your parents are such a model. <laughs> we love your parents. And to think that idea of you have a home here, you can you can come here, we will be here for you. But you need to go out and you need to prove yourself and you need to make a way for yourself. And that's such a good example. And even in third grade, I give full permission. Go stick up for your child yeah, <laughs> that's insane. doing too much homework. <laughs> I love it that she stood outside the window to let Sister Mathana know she was keeping an eye on her, even if she was kicked out of the classroom. So what is the difference between preparing and hovering, and why is it so important for us to give this preview of the, <laughs> you know, of the future educational choices to the kids? Yeah, it's that funnel where when they're young, they're in kindergarten, they're in first grade, you're really involved. You know, it's the big part of the funnel. But as they get older and older and older and they're a senior in high school, now you're doing very little for them and you're just more guiding them, answering their questions. And so you do want to think, how can I prepare my child? Like, what are the next two or three things they need to learn to do, whether it's, you know, sign up for driver's ed or pack their own lunch, or do their homework without being cajoled and and begged, you know, whatever it is. Like, I've got to prepare my child to do that. That's different than hovering and micromanaging and being there for your child, filling out paperwork for them, signing things for them, you know, doing stuff for them. And so it's very important to see that difference, to be involved, but then to really urge your child to take responsibility for themselves instead of hovering to make sure. And then hovering also doesn't allow for mistakes. It's like, I'm going to fix this. Mm -hmm. You know, preparation, you allow for mistakes because we're going to make mistakes and it's better for them to learn while they're under your roof. Mm -hmm. I still think you've got to make those medical appointments and dental appointments though because I'm telling you, my nephew just came from the dentist. He had 13 cavities and I'm like, what? She's like, yeah, I think we just were a little negligent in keeping up on all the dental appointments. 13 cavities? Like he'd never had that before when he lived at home. Whoa. (laughs) (laughs) All right, Arlene, where do we find you and your books? Impellycane.com, and the newest book is called Parents Rising. Thank you, friend. So much.
Angie Austin, Michael Pelka, and Nancy J. as we head into the weekend, wanting to know about the movies, the box office. Hello, Nance. A very good morning to you, Angie and Mike. So have you seen any good movies lately? No. I am stuck in uh, <laughs> Homecoming, which is uh, 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 the amazing series that Amazon has put out. And I have just begun, and I think I'm going to be rapidly addicted to The Man in the High Tower. <gasps> yes, I have not watched that yet, but I've got to tell you, I just started watching Bodyguard on Netflix. Have you heard about that? That nope. has been the most popular show in the UK. It's a BBC production since Downton Abbey. And mm. it's just, it's six episodes. And if you're a fan of Game of Thrones, one of the actors from Game of Thrones is in it. But I will tell you, because he's a Scottish actor and the Brits kind of talk fast, I'm watching it with subtitles. <laughs> you have to. And Angie, I don't know if you've noticed this, but we, we watch a lot of the procedural dramas from the BBC and the Scots are the hardest mm. stand. It's impossible in some cases. Really? I feel better. I feel much better. But really, you need to try this one. Bodyguard had just started streaming last week, I think. And... The thing is, though, I've got two movies that were pretty, pretty easy to understand as far as dialogue is concerned. Hmm. First one, we've talked about this, Mike. I know you said you were interested in this Bohemian Rhapsody. This is the queen, the, the band, the queen, the biopic. It is going to rule the weekend box office opening today. You, you've heard all the glowing reviews, but it's not as good as everyone wants it to be. It really isn't. The first half, the first half is tedious, kind of how Queen began. And, and Rami Malek is absolutely wonderful as Freddie Mercury. But Freddie Mercury apparently had a very big overbite, which none of us really noticed because we knew him with his mustache, the thick mustache and the shorn oh, yeah. hair, right? Yeah. But this prosthetic on Malik is so distracting to me, and that's a horrible, horrible thing for me to say. I know. I mean, I'm going to get I'm going to get letters from haters. I know that, but it, but it, it did bother me. I couldn't get past it. So the last half, though, is so good. That's where you have the music. That's where you have the era, and it all works. And you remember, you remember Live Aid back in 1985, right? Mm-hmm. Of course. London's Wembley Stadium. It was it was to raise money for AIDS. And that is the best part of this movie. It's the very end. It, they recreate the 20 minute Queen performance at Live Aid. The cast learned everything. It was even the first scene they shot. And Malik sings over Freddie Mercury's voice. And it does feel real. It's it that that makes it worth it. And I'd forgotten how wonderful that music is. I just want to hear a little bit of the music. So Trevino, our right hand man, has pulled a little. And I just want to hear because I have to say that this was a little bit before my era. But then it bled over into my era because I have older brothers that listen to all this music. And it really I mean, it really set the tone. I mean, I think it's recognizable to anyone. Take a listen. What's the lyric? Ready, Freddy? Let's do it. You need to slow down, Fred. I just need a bit of time. But if I don't have time?
I mean, and Mike, you've seen him in concert, right? Oh, you have? Three times. I My first Queen album was their first Queen album, Sheer Heart Attack, in 1974. Then I bought Night at the Opera. And, of course, then News of the World. It went on and on and on and on. Uh, Day at the Races. I, I was in all of it. And not only am I interested, I hope it's not too tedious, I love the biopic elements that show the history of the band forming. And that kind of stuff is fascinating to me. I know... The momentum will pick up and it will get into the music. And I'm going tonight, by the way. Uh, I, I am interested in the nuances of the early days of the band as well as the crescendo that will happen at the end. Then I want to get your review of it because you are going to be a fan. I think you're going to love it. Well, I hope so. I, some of the, I have to tell you in all honesty, and Angie knows my history a little bit. Uh, some of the years that I was attending Queen concerts are still a little foggy, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> have you guys oh, well. seen the little girl? And I'm just going to play a teeny bit of it for you because you know um, Bohemian Rhapsody. It's a difficult song, and there's a three-year-old little girl. She's gone viral. Have you guys seen any of their mm -mm. little video? No. <laughs> okay, let's listen to a snippet of it. I mean, for a three-year-old girl to, you know, I wouldn't say nail that song, but to even attempt to nail that song, pretty impressive. Well, speaking of three-year-old girls, I've got a movie that little girls are going to love, and that is Disney's new big, big budget, The Nutcracker and the Four Realms. Now, Angie, does this interest you, maybe for you and your kids? Yes. Any any kid movie, I have to say, what they've done with them in like the last 10 to 15 years, they're entertaining for all generations. A lot of these kids' movies are well done. This is PG-rated, 100 minutes. It is a fantasy film. It's the Nutcracker suite, all the music. The Nutcracker doll comes to life. And Clara, Clara, actually they call her Clara, she lands in the four, the four realms. And the trouble with this movie is it's almost as messy as A Wrinkle in Time which was really, really messy. But oh. kids are, but kids oh. will love this. They, you know, I mean, it's, there's just so much, it's just so much spectacle and it's, and it's Christmas and that's what's going to make it good. And I went with a friend and her three little, her young ones, her little ones, and these kids loved it. Um, and the Mackenzie Foy, the little girl who is Clara, she is absolutely stunning. You can't take your eyes off of her. She was the daughter in the Twilight movie, she played the daughter of the two leads. Uh, just this wonderful little English accent. So it's a family-friendly movie, and it'll it'll do okay. But I think it's definitely going to be a Bohemian Rhapsody weekend for most people. And that's PG thirteen, so it, it, anyone can go see that one too. What do you think, Mike? Are you made some kind of a no way to sound? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's uh, as they say in West Texas, El Paso. Ooh, I, li I, I, li I like that. That's a good one, y'all. <laughs> All right, so anything, any other little snippet that's out there that might be entertaining? Because, you know, I don't see a ton of movies, but I've got a friend visiting me from a small town in Minnesota, and I thought oh. I didn't see movies. I mean, goodness gracious. I'm like, I'm like are you like a shut-in up there? Like, I know they have a theater in town. 
Well, I'll tell you what, you guys have done stories on the opioid crisis, right? And, and, and all the horrible addictions that are, that are happening to our young people and adults all over the country, right? Yes. There is a movie called Beautiful Boy. It is R-rated. It's a biography drama, and it's based on the best-selling pair of memoirs from a father and son, David and Nick Sheff. And it chronicles, I mean, this heartbreaking experience of survival and relapse and recovery. And for the first time, I understood what coping with addiction does to an entire family. Steve Carell is the dad. He's amazing. Timothy Chalamet, who you may know from the movie, movie Call Me By Your Name. He's gosh, 22 years old. He was nominated for an Oscar for that role last year. I did a Q&A with him this, over the weekend for this movie. And the whole theater was filled with Teenage girls and girls in their 20s. This is, he's the new heartthrob, Timothy Chalamet. And this movie is, it's hard to watch, but what's so interesting, and I know you're going to like this, Mike. David Sheff, the father who authored the, actually authored the book, Beautiful Boy, and chronicles his son's struggle. Mm -hmm. He wrote that, he wrote the title, it comes from the John Lennon song, you know, Beautiful Boy. Yes. Because, but because David Sheff got the last interview with John and Yoko before John Lennon was murdered. And this was before his son was even born. So there's just, so it's kind of a neat story. Okay, I know we've got like precious seconds left. Just let me ask you one question. Is this this generation's ordinary people? Oh, ooh, good call. I'm going to say yes. Okay, hmm. and I'm in. I'm all in. Okay, all right. I like in. it. I'm in too, even though I can tell that it's going to be a painful movie to watch. My brother <laughs> has was suffered... He's dead, but he suffered from addiction. He was murdered, but he was in that crowd. And I have another one who's homeless. And my dad also had his struggles with alcohol. So I was really surrounded by a lot of this. So I saw the trailer and Steve Carell looks amazing, but I can tell it's going to be a tough one to watch whether you live through it or not. I think it'll be tough. It will be, but it's it's worth it. I think you're right. All right, I'll oh. do it for you, Nancy. Oh, okay. Thank you, Nancy. Well, let's, let's leave with smiles. Have a good weekend. <laughs>